Good morning, Oceanside Sanctuary. It is good to be back with you again this Sunday morning for worship here on YouTube and Facebook. It is amazing, I think, that we have been able to gather as a church every week faithfully to worship, uh, to sing, to pray, to encourage each other, to come to Scripture and to learn for the past 14 months in this online digital space. And we are going to continue to do that. For those of you who are at a distance or for those of you who aren't yet ready to return to in-person services, we will continue to offer some way of engaging online every Sunday morning so that you are able to tune in on YouTube or Facebook and continue to fellowship and worship together in this way. However, we are very excited to be looking forward to a return to in-person services at the Oceanside Sanctuary beginning on May 23rd. And so if you are ready to return to in-person worship at our church, we want to invite you to come out for one of two services on Sunday mornings beginning May 23rd. The first service will be at 10 o'clock and the second service will be at 11.15. The first service, the 10 o'clock service, will be limited to just 30 people. The second service will be a bit bigger. It will be limited to just 60 people. So if you're more comfortable in a smaller crowd, you can come to the 10 o'clock service. If you're okay with a little bit bigger crowd, then you can come to the 11.15 service. We're going to continue to take precautions until the state of California lifts all of the COVID precautions uh, that are currently required. We want to be as cautious as possible and make sure that people are protected. So if you're ready to do that, we're really excited to see some of you to, to again, pray and sing and worship with you in person. Uh, and we want to do that beginning on May 23rd. So you're invited to come out. In the meantime, of course, we are reading through the book of Psalms. I've chosen a few Psalms for us to read through together during the month of May, as we begin to prepare to worship in person together. So today I'm going to invite you to read through Psalm chapter 1 with me. I want to share with you some of the things that I notice about Psalm chapter 1 that are inspiring me and feeding me and my faith. And I want to invite you to share some of the things that it is inspiring you towards and how it's feeding you and invite you to share that in the comments on YouTube and Facebook. But before we do that, as always, I want to invite you just to pray with me. Let's center our hearts and our minds as we approach this text together. God, we thank you so much for today and for this opportunity for us to gather for worship on YouTube and Facebook and the opportunity to encourage each other even in a digital space. We pray today that as we come to this psalm that you would really speak to our hearts and our minds that you would inspire us to be people who are immersed in your goodness. Inspire us to be people who are following after you and your way. We ask that you would really help us to see this in a fresh way and that we would draw closer to your mercy and your grace. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm chapter 1 is our passage. I'm going to, as I've been doing this whole month, I'm going to read through the whole psalm together first. It's a pretty short psalm. I've, I've chosen shorter psalms for our series this month, so it won't take us too long to get through it. It's only six verses, 
But there's some really powerful images here that I'm really excited to share with you. And so let's read through it together. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We're going to put the words up on the screen as always. And right here at the beginning, uh, my Bible gives a title to this psalm. It's called The Two Ways. Let's read through it first together. Starting in verse 1, it says this, Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. But the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, as you can see right here from the beginning that the title is very appropriate because what's happening here in Psalm chapter 1 is that two paths or two ways for life are being laid out before the reader. And in this way, Psalm chapter 1 actually functions not just as the first chapter in the book of Psalms, but it really functions as a kind of introduction to the whole book of Psalms. It tips us off right here at the beginning of this collection of sacred music that this is the purpose of the entire book. It's essentially telling us at the outset that Psalms exists to highlight for us the good path of life and the destructive path of life. And in this way, Psalms is very similar with the book of Proverbs. For those of you who have read through the book of Proverbs, you might have noticed the same thing, that Proverbs chapter 1 begins with a proverb, an extended proverb, that invites the reader in to a life of learning what it means to be wise, learning wisdom. And so it tips us off right at the beginning that the whole book of Proverbs is essentially about learning wisdom. And in this way, Proverbs and Psalms are very similar books. They take on a kind of view of life that is very much like common sense. You know, there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And if you go about doing things in the right way, then your life will be good. But if you go about doing things in the wrong way, then your life will be bad. And that's very much like the sort of common sense that any of us would have learned in our homes growing up, that there is a, a clear distinction between doing things that are right and doing things that are wrong. And if you want your life to go well and you want it to be good, then you obviously take the wrong or the right path. This is in biblical literature what we sometimes refer to as books of conventional wisdom. And they're called conventional wisdom books because the advice that's given here sort of fits neatly into the way that we tend to conventionally think about life. Look at the way that it describes it right here in the beginning of Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. Doing the right thing, listening to people who are good and righteous makes you happy. And later, this very psalm uses language to 
make it clear that the opposite is true, that if you sit in the seat of scoffers, that is, you take the position of people who scoff at life and scoff at institutions and scoff at what is right and what is wrong, then you are destined for destruction. This is, again, a message that we hear repeated in other books like Proverbs. The trouble with this, of course, and this is the first thing I notice about Psalm chapter 1, the trouble with this, of course, is that that's not always how life goes. It's not always true that if you make the right choice, if you do the right thing, if you work hard, if you play by the rules, that life will work out for you and you will always be happy. It's also not true that if you make the wrong choices, that if you don't play by the rules, that if you lie and cheat and steal and manipulate people, it's not true that you'll necessarily be unhappy or unsuccessful in life. And there are books in the Bible that take that perspective. You've probably noticed that that's what we have other wisdom books for, like the book of Job, for example, which tells the story of a man who did everything right, who followed all the rules, who was utterly righteous in the sight of God, and yet things turned out very badly for him for a very long period of time. That whole book, regardless of how it ends, that whole book is really asking the question, why is it that sometimes terrible things happen to good people? The book of Ecclesiastes is very similar. Ecclesiastes basically asks the question, What's the point of life when we know that life doesn't always work out for us, even when we do the right thing? And the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes really comes to the conclusion that it really doesn't necessarily matter what you do, that rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous alike, and that the very best that we can hope for in life is to enjoy whatever good things God has given us while we're here on this earth before we die. And those books, books like Job and Ecclesiastes, are sometimes what we call in the Bible alternative wisdom. And one of the things that's great about Scripture is that it contains both perspectives. We have the conventional wisdom of Psalms and Proverbs that teaches us that if we do the right things, we'll be happy and prosperous. And alongside that, we have books like Job and Ecclesiastes that offer the opposite perspective, that say, whoa, whoa, that is not always true. And so as we encounter this conventional wisdom perspective in Psalm 1, I just want to acknowledge that that is one of the things that can easily trip us up when we read a psalm like this. We can easily say, well, wait a minute, this isn't necessarily true in every case. And I just want to say to you, right, the Bible acknowledges that. But it is also true very often that life can be summed up as two paths. And it is also very true that when you make the right choices, when you are wise in a conventional sense, when you work hard and play by the rules, that generally life tends to go better for you. And Psalms really represents that perspective. And so I don't want us to get hung up on the what-ifs and the exceptions. Instead, let's acknowledge that the exceptions exist and just sink ourselves into the imagery that is here in Psalm chapter 1, because that imagery, I think, can be really powerful. But before we get there, 
The second thing I notice in this psalm that can easily trip us up is something that we find in verse 2. So if you look back at verse 2 with me, you'll see it continues with this. Again, happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. That's in verse 1. And then when we get to verse 2, it says, But their delight, that is, the delight of those who follow after God, their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law they meditate day and night. Now this verse, I think, could also trip us up very quickly when we're reading Psalm 1, because especially for Christians uh, who have been told that the law is something that does not apply to them, this language about the law can really trip us up. We might read this and say, well, I'm not delighting in the law of God. What does it mean to delight in the law of God? What even are the laws of God? And for those of us who were raised perhaps in religious traditions that were really restrictive and constrained us and often even controlled or abused us with the words of the Bible, this can feel even more constraining, more constricting, because that language of law might trigger us into thinking that we're being trapped by whatever commandments might be used against us somewhere within Scripture. But that's not what we are here to do. We're not here reading this psalm. We're not here in this church to be people who get constrained and tripped up by all of the various commandments that we find in Scripture. Rather, we are here to understand the bigger meaning of Scripture. And it's helpful, I think, to remember that when the psalmist writes about the law of God, the psalmist is talking about the first five books of the Bible, what uh, the, the tradition in Judaism considered to be the law or the Torah, that portion of the Jewish Bible that was most sacred and most holy to them. For them, the Torah was a revelation of God's ultimate intentions for not only God's people, but for the whole world. And for the Jews, ancient Jews and modern Jews alike, this Torah reveals the essential goodness, the righteousness, the compassion and mercy of God. So when the psalmist writes about meditating on the law of God, the psalmist isn't talking about being constrained or restricted in a way that is oppressive or abusive or controlling or violent. The psalmist is talking about meditating on the very words that provide life to God's people because in those words, God's people recognize God's heart. And so really, when we read the word law in this text, we ought to be thinking God's revelation of God's heart through Scripture. That's what we do even as Christians now. We read passages like this from the Jewish Bible And we try to learn to cultivate eyes and ears to see how God's heart is being revealed in the text and the images that we find here. And so I want us to move past those things that could trip us up as we are reading through a psalm like this. But here's what I see that's really feeding me as I come to Psalm chapter 1. We get past this part where uh, the, the psalmist is talking about meditating on the law of God. And as soon as we let go of the idea that the law refers to something bad or constraining or oppressive in our lives, then I think this psalm begins to open up 
with some really amazing possibilities, beginning right there again in verse 2. Again, it says, but their delight, that is the delight of people who follow after God, their delight is in the law or the words or the text of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. Here is the action that the psalmist is writing about. So again, the action the psalmist is inviting us into is to immerse ourselves through meditation, through contemplation, by ruminating on these words of life that are given to us. We enter into a kind of relationship with that word, with those texts that opens up new possibilities for our lives. We meditate on it day and night. And in so doing, we are opened up to this new possibility that we see in verse 3. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither, and in all that they do they prosper. This is just one of the things that I love about these uh, poetic texts from the Jewish Bible, especially in books like Psalms and Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes, is that these passages are just dripping with these poetic images that open up new possibilities for our lives. And the poetic image that's used here, of course, is the image of this strong and healthy and fruitful tree. And the psalmist is saying that when we turn our attention to the good words of God, when we turn our attention to how God's heart of goodness and righteousness and compassion and truth is revealed in these words and we soak ourselves in it, then we become like great, strong trees that are being watered reliably by a good stream and that tree grows to be big enough and strong enough to bear fruit on a regular basis, and it's trees uh, that is a tree that does not wither, that does not fade, and does not die. This is a picture then of us becoming people who are genuinely strong and healthy because we have immersed ourselves in the heart of God as revealed by the words of God. And that to me is a powerful image because. I don't know about you, but that's exactly what I want for my life. I, I want to be somebody who is strong and healthy and fruitful. Somebody whose life represents goodness, not just for myself, but for others as well. This reminds me a lot of another passage that tends to trip people up and, and cause people some difficulty, and that is Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5, which of course is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And towards the end of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives a teaching on what we sometimes call the six antitheses. That are these six short teachings where Jesus reflects on the Jewish Bible and on the laws of Moses. And at the end of that section, Jesus says something that tends to trip people up a lot. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. 
That's hard for a lot of people because just after hearing Jesus explicate what it means to be genuinely good, righteous, and true people of God, and these are sayings that tell us everything from like turning the other cheek to going the extra mile, essentially loving our enemies rather than doing violence to our enemies. At the end of that section, Jesus says, be perfect then just as God is perfect. And we wonder, how is it possible that we as human beings can ever be perfect? And the answer is, of course, that Jesus isn't telling us that we have to be perfect in the sense that we are without fault or blame or blemish ever, that we become people that never make mistakes. That's a kind of Greek notion of perfection that we have imported into Jesus's very Jewish teachings. Instead, the word that we tend to translate as perfect in Matthew 5.48 really means originally maturity or fully grown. And that is exactly the image that I think Psalm chapter 1 gives us. It presents us with this image of a tree that is fully grown, fully mature, and healthy. And because it's fully grown and mature and healthy, it is producing good fruit, and living a good life. That's exactly what the psalmist is inviting us into. And it's what Jesus invites us into in the Sermon on the Mount. Not to be people who are perfect, not to be people who follow the letter of the law for its own sake, but to become people who are so genuinely good and mature and healthy that we can't help but produce good fruit. And that is for me, very inspiring as I read through Psalm chapter 1. I'm wondering, again, what is it about this psalm or the words that you see reflected in Psalm chapter 1 that is inspiring you today? I want to invite you just to jump into the comments on Facebook or YouTube and just share with us a brief sentence or two about what is really jumping out at you from this passage what is liberating you from being tripped up by ideas that might be uh, making you feel constrained or restricted in some way? And how is it that the imagery in this psalm is inspiring you to new possibilities in your life? I want to encourage you to do that and encourage each other in the comments uh, as we continue to move towards our in-person services again. Let's close with a word of prayer. Would you just join me as we pray today? Father, we thank you again for the good words that we find in these psalms. God, we ask that you would uh, expand our hearts by these words. Spirit, we pray that you would animate us to be people who are able to live into the words that we see written here, that we would become people who are liberated to be just as you created us to be, just as you've called us to be. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, it's Kaya, and before you head off, we have a couple quick announcements for you. Um, if you're new to the Oceanside Sanctuary, we would love to get to know you and connect with you. Um, simply just visit um, our website, oceansidesanctuary.org um, slash contact, and uh, fill out that contact information, 
and we will be in touch with you. Um, we have some really exciting news. Uh, we are going to start in-person church services starting the 23rd. Um, we have two services. Uh, one is at 10 a.m., and that has a 30-person uh, limit capacity. And then there's one at 11.15 a.m. with a 60-person limit capacity. Um, if you would like to start coming in person, uh, we would love to see your guys' beautiful faces. Um, we just need you guys to RSVP. Uh, so go ahead and head over to OceansideSanctuary.org and RSVP for one of those two spots. Um, if you're still not comfortable with coming in person, that's totally okay. We will still be uh, streaming the ser sermon um, live on YouTube and Facebook. Um, our church volunteer workday is May 16th from 12 to 3 p.m. Um, as we start to get ready to start coming in person and doing in-person services, um, we're going to need your help to get ready for that big day, which is super exciting. So um, make sure to RSVP at OceansideSanctuary.org slash calendar slash church dash volunteer dash work dash day. Um, finally, uh, we would love for you guys to help support our mission. Um, we are a nonprofit and we rely on the gifts and donations of people just like you. Um, if you would like to support our mission, consider giving a gift today. Um, just visit OceansideSanctuary.org slash give. Um, I hope you guys have a wonderful week and a good rest of your, um, Sunday. And we would love to start seeing you come in person starting the 23rd. So make sure to RSVP for one of the two times.